May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. Glad you're here. Um, And today we come to the second to last message in this series, Inside Out, because after this week we only have one more. So, and this has been an incredible series because we've been talking about how God wants to change us in certain areas of our life, starting from the inside and working its way out by changing how we think. And so far in this series, we've covered things like anger and lies, and last week we covered work. And by the way, I'm still getting comments from people about last week and the new ministry team that we uh, are are running out. Um, I'm telling you, so if you missed last week, go catch it online, go watch it right from our website or listen to it, but you you really need to. Um, Today, we're talking about the subject of words. Um, Now, in high school... Um, I was on the speech and debate team for my school. I know, like, big shocker, right? Um, so anyway, my coach, his name was Mr. Thompson. We called him Mr. T. Um, he, great coach, great guy. I remember something he said to me at the end of my freshman year, and what he said to me changed me. Like, literally, it shaped my future, okay? The, the, the occasion was, is... At the end of my freshman year, I had qualified for the state, the Texas State Tournament in extemporaneous speaking. Extemp speaking is where um, you go into a room and they just assign you just a totally random topic about any current event in the world and you have 30 minutes to prepare a seven minute speech. Well, I had made it to the state tournament uh, in that event. And at the state tournament, if you finish in the top three, you qualify for the national tournament. Well, Honestly, as a freshman, I got put out in the early rounds of the state tournament, but my coach, Mr. T, came up to me after it was over, and he said, he looked me square in the eye, and he got a really kind of a silly grin on his face, and he said this to me. He said, Mike, I truly believe that by the time you're a senior, you will qualify for the national tournament. I'm telling you, what he said stuck with me. Like, I never forgot it. And so that, that made me, I, I started to study more and to prepare more and to read more and to practice more and to rehearse more because I knew that he believed in me. And so literally every year during high school, I qualified for the state tournament in extent speaking. Every year I went deeper and deeper and deeper into the tournament. And then when I was a senior, I'm in the state tournament. I'm in the semifinal round, and I, I drew a really hard field and a really hard topic in that final round, or uh, of, that, of the semifinals, actually, and I came in fifth, didn't make it to the finals, and I was out. That was it. Like, yeah, you thought I was going to tell you I made it to nationals, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, not every story ends like a Disney movie, okay? I mean, they should, but they don't. But the, my, my point in telling you that entire story is that this one Thing that this one guy said to me one time affected and shaped my life. Now, God had much bigger plans than me just going to a national tournament. His plans were for me to help people who were far from God come close to him again, or maybe even for the first time, and find Christ and find forgiveness and find a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. 
But I'm telling you, it all started with what that one guy said to me that one time that day. And I'll be honest, look, I bet we can all remember something that somebody said to us that was so meaningful. And I mean, whether it was a mom or dad or um, a relative or your first boss or a close friend, somebody said something to you, it just, it just, you know, it stuck with you and it meant so much and it shaped what you did from that point forward. Now, on the flip side, I bet we can also remember something that somebody said to us that was incredibly hurtful, deflating, painful, and that shaped us as well. Because I'm telling you, words are so powerful. Which is why the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians and addresses this topic of words. He uses this as one of the key topics that he talks to him about. And because he could see that the way people talk to one another, that could make or break what they feel about Christ and what they think about church. And in fact, it's how people respond to each other for him, it was so important that Paul tells them something about words that he never says anywhere else in the entire Bible. And we're going to get to that. So let's find, pull your message notes, and let's start by uh, asking this question, what does God say about what I say? And so let's start to unpack what the Apostle Paul says to us. Well, the first thing he says this is that... Um, Don't say things that squash people's dreams, desires, or potential, or the potential in others. Don't say things that squash dreams, desires, or potential in others. Ephesians 4.29, the Bible says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, I want you to circle the word unwholesome. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, now look. That word unwholesome that I had you circle, here's what it means. It's the same word that's used to describe rotten wood, withered flowers, and rancid fish. It's the same word. So look, when he's, Paul says unwholesome words, he's not talking about cuss words or dirty jokes, okay? Now, not saying that those are good either, but that's just not what he's talking about here, okay? So what he's saying is, is that when you and I say things to people that squash their dreams and, um, and, 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 and causes those dreams to rot and wither and become rancid, when, when Paul says that, the people in Ephesus, they would have understood the imagery of this word. So when Paul says, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk, they would have had in their minds like rancid fish. And so when he says the word unwholesome, they would have been like, oh, And so let me ask this. Have you ever been a part of a conversation when somebody said something that was so hurtful that it made you turn your head? You're like, oh. That's what Paul's talking about. And I think all of us have been on the receiving end of something like that at some point in life, haven't we? And so what Paul's saying is like, hey, don't talk like that to other people. Don't be that person in someone else's life. And by the way, for us, that doesn't just include our speech. In, in our culture, in our context, like that also includes social media. Because, hey, newsflash, if you post it, like it, 
favorite it, tweet it, retweet it, whatever you do, if you do that, it's as if it comes from you. It's as if you spoke it. Now, in fact, I, honestly, I think it's kind of worse because if it's out on social media, like it's out there for anyone to see and it stays out there. So we have to be incredibly careful. Okay, now, I, I think we all know what Paul's talking about here. So I don't, I don't, we don't need to belabor, belabor that point. So let's, what Paul, let's look at what Paul says that we are supposed to say. Number two, he says this, that I need to use my words to build, up, to build on what God is building. I need to use my words to build on what God is building. Ephesians 4.29, exact same verse. Here's what it says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk, we know what that means, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, and I want you to underline this next part, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, that part that I had you underlined, according to their needs, it literally, and maybe you want to write this over that somewhere, it literally means to supply what is lacking. It literally means supply what is lacking. So bottom line, he's saying what you and I are supposed to do, we're supposed to say things to other people to supply whatever is lacking in their lives. Well, okay, Paul. Like, how am I supposed to supply what people lack? Like, how am I supposed to know what's lacking in someone else's life? Well, the only way to know is to get to know people. Like, because you can't know what someone lacks in their life if you don't know what's going on or what has happened in their life. And so, get this, embedded in this expectation of how we talk to people is also the expectation that we get to know people, especially the people that we go to church with, because Paul is writing this to the people that are in the church in Ephesus. Now, at Parkway Fellowship, we get to know people primarily through two avenues. First is through the people that you volunteer with, and then secondly, through the people that you go to small group with. And so what it means is that, when, look, when you're volunteering with other people or when you're in small group with other people, look, at some point, you have to get past all that surfacey stuff. Like, you've got to get to the point where you really get to know someone, what's really going on in their life, so that you can speak life into what is lacking in their life, so that you can speak confidence into someone who has no confidence. So you can speak acceptance into someone's life who feels so incredibly lonely. So that you can speak that you see so much good in someone who previously has felt so undervalued and so unappreciated. That's what he's talking about there. That's what he says that you and I are supposed to, supposed to do. Look, and I'll say this, if you volunteer with kids or with teenagers here at Parkway Fellowship, you especially need to speak life into them. Because I'm telling you, when it comes to kids and teenagers, you never know what goes on behind closed doors in their home. I'm telling you, you never know. You never know if their parents, if all they do is just yell at them. You have no idea if their parents fight all the time and maybe are on the brink of a divorce or are going through a divorce. You never know if that kid is getting picked on by his siblings. You never know if that child is a loner at school and hasn't had anybody say anything positive to them in weeks. 
I'm telling you, you never know. And so you and I are supposed to speak into what is lacking in their lives. We need to speak life into their life. For instance, um, just, the other, just a couple weeks ago, I ran into, get this, my small group leader from 10th grade. Yeah. Uh, now, this lady and her husband, they've relocated from San Antonio, where I grew up. They relocated to the Katy area and just ran into her at the grocery store. And, and, every, and I've run into her multiple times, literally, since they've been, they've been here actually for several years. I've run into her multiple times, and every, literally every time I run into this person, this lady always says to me, she's like, Mike, I'm so proud of what God is doing through you. She says, I'm so proud of what God's doing through you. Now, she doesn't say that to me because I'm a pastor, okay? She's been saying that to me every time I've seen her since I was a bag boy at Albertson's grocery store, okay? So it has nothing to do with me. In fact, maybe this is just what she says to everybody. Like, I don't really know. But whenever she says it to me, it's so meaningful because it was so meaningful to me back then. I mean, like, literally, I never come up to this lady and I say, look, hey, can you come up with something new? You've been saying this a lot, okay? No, I never, because it's always so meaningful. Look, here's what I'm saying. You can be that person for someone else. Like, you can be that person for a kid or a teenager who desperately needs it. Somebody, look, we have enough negative people in this world, don't we? I mean, aren't there enough people in the world that just find it so easy to criticize and so in this world where there's so much negativity and there's so much cutting down, you could be the person in that kid's life that says, I am so proud of what God is doing and will do through you. It could change them forever. Okay, now let's get to where Paul talks about the big reveal about why this is so important, Okay. Now, this is where we get some insight into what God really thinks about our words and why we need to be so doggedly determined not to mess up in this area. Now, this is the only time in the entire Bible where this sentence occurs. And so that means that we need to like perk up and take notice. Here's what he says, very next verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, that's the part that only occurs once in the Bible. In fact, I want, so I want you to put a big box all around it, okay? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, before we talk about that part that we, circle, we put a box around, I want, to notice, I want you to look at the second part. It says, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, that's a reference to what Paul says in chapter 1 of Ephesians where he says that when someone becomes a Christ follower, the, Ho the Holy Spirit comes into their life and it acts like a seal. And what he means by that is he's talking about it's like a gold seal that you would stamp on an official document that guarantees its accuracy so that it can, and, its, and its authenticity so that it cannot be challenged. What he's saying is, is that when a person becomes a Christ follower, when the whole, the whole, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside that person, and that Holy Spirit is acts like a seal that guarantees that that person is a genuine, authentic Christian, and that cannot be challenged for any reason, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of that person. 
So let me ask you this. Has there ever come a time in your life when you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you and then pledge your life to following him? Because once you do that, that's when he says that he sends the Holy Spirit, that's God's Spirit, to come live inside of you. Have you ever done that before? Now look, going to church and being serious or being religious, that does not make you a Christ follower. It doesn't make you a Christ follower any more than sit in your garage and saying vroom, vroom makes you a car, okay? <laughs> going to church has nothing to do with it. That's where, going to church is where we, where we learn and how we grow. The only way that you become a Christ follower is if you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and you commit your life to following him. And once you do that, then he sends his Holy Spirit to come live inside you to guide you from that point forward. And that Holy Spirit acts as a seal which guarantees your authenticity and genuineness as a Christ follower. So have you ever done that? If you haven't, there's a sample prayer in your message notes. It's on the back. If you've never prayed that prayer before, oh, please, please, please pray it today. Pray it today. Now, let's look at that part that I had you circle. Because once the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, for Paul, this is the first and only time in the entire Bible that we are told about what grieves the Holy Spirit. And because of the context, we know that what grieves the Holy Spirit is when we use our words to tear someone down and not build them up. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, let me ask you this. Why? Why does that grieve the Holy Spirit? And here's your feeling. It's because the Holy Spirit grieves what could have been accomplished in that conversation. God's Spirit grieves what could have been a conversation that could have had such, good, such great impact for good has instead had incredible impact for bad. Look, it's like when your second grader comes home from school on their first day and they were insecure about maybe going to a new school and they come home just bawling because there were some other kids at school that made fun of them that day, that bullied them that day, and the day could not have gone any worse. And in that moment, as a parent, your heart grieves for your child. Because what had the potential to be such a good conversation, it could have gone one way and it could have made all the difference in the world. Instead, it went the other way. And it had, and it's made all the difference in a negative way. And so as a parent, it grieves your heart because of what could have been. A totally different kind of conversation. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that your words have the ability to either build up or tear down. And when they tear down, I'm telling you, it grieves God's spirit. Because of what could have been. That could have been a conversation that could have brought you as husband and wife so much closer. Instead, it, it sent you farther apart. That could have been a conversation between you and your son or you and your daughter that could have brought you closer. It could have repaired so much damage, but instead it created more distance. That's what he's saying That And so he says that when that happens, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, God is so big and he's so good and he's so gracious that even when we have those conversations, we create that sort of grieving that God at some point sends someone else into their life to repair the damage that we've done. But Paul's point is this, is that 
if you're a negative person, if you're just always critical, if you're the person that just always speaks their mind and just let the chips fall where they may, he says, stop. Stop doing that. Because it grieves the Holy Spirit that lives inside other people because you are tearing down what God is working to build up. That's what he's getting at. And so how does God think about my words? Here's, here's, the, here's the big reveal, is that words can build or demolish what God is doing in someone. Words can build or demolish what God is doing in someone. I brought with me today a blacksmith hammer, okay? This is a hammer that blacksmiths use to, on a piece of metal, to shape it into something useful. And so what Paul's saying to you, he's saying to me, is like, and the way that God thinks about our words is that God wants to use our words like a blacksmith hammer to help shape someone into something that is useful by God to be used for good things in this world. And you have the ability to use your words to help shape somebody like that. Or you can use your words to demolish because, like, I can use this blacksmith hammer and I can knock some pretty big holes in a wall without a whole lot of effort, can I? And then after that, I can do an enormous amount of damage. And God's saying, your words are the same. You can use them to damage and destroy people and demolish what God's doing in their lives. Or you can use it to help shape them and build them up and build on what God is already doing. And the choice is up to you. By how you think about your words, because if you'll think about them like God thinks about them, God can use them for incredible good. And see, here's the thing. If we're careless about our words, you know, we just say what we think. We, you know, we, just, we just speak our mind. We just let our emotions take control. Then inadvertently, we are almost always going to say things that we regret. Things that we wish we could take back, but we can't in that moment. And Jesus himself says that we need to take our words really seriously. Look what he says in Matthew 12, 36. Jesus is talking, he says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Now about you, but that scares me more than just a little bit, right? That's a big deal. Because, and it means that my words are, are such a big, big deal to God that I need to take them more seriously than what I do. And so in light of that, let me give you four statements that should become true of all of us if we think about our words like God does. Here they are. Here's the first statement. Before I say or post what's on my mind, I need to ask, would this grieve the Holy Spirit? Would this grieve the Holy Spirit? I, mean, I, I cannot stress how vital this is. This is the only time the Bible specifically names what grieves God's Spirit. So you've got to keep that in mind. Look, especially when talking to your kids, especially when talking to your spouse, especially when you're in a conversation that's got the potential to heat up. I mean, before you even start that conversation, you need to ask, is what I'm about to say going to grieve God's Spirit? Ask, what could I say that would actually please God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in that moment? You need to ask that. Okay? Statement number two. A Christian ought to be the most supportive and encouraging person to be around. 
I mean, look, like I said before, we've got, we've got more than enough negative people in this world, don't we? Well, we don't need any more. And so as Christ followers, we ought to be the most pleasant people to be around because the love of Christ ought to come through our words. And people around us, they should feel encouraged and they should feel supported because we always have something positive to say about them. Because look, we represent Jesus to every person that we come in contact with. And what we say will either make becoming a Christ follower more attractive or more repulsive. It's all in how we, in, in the words we choose to say. We ought to be the most supporting and encouraging people to be around. All right, number three is this. I need to value the person more than my point. I need to value the person more than my point. You ever been around someone who's more concerned with making their point than they are with the person that they're talking to? Oh, man. Look, I'm going to tell you, look, there, there's times in life when you can be right and, and the relationship is fine, okay? Uh, and that's, that's good. But there are other times when even though you are right, even though your point is valid, if it is going to nuke the friendship, the relationship, the marriage, the career, whatever, then you need to stop because you are about to make a critical error by making your point and then nuking the person. God says, don't do that. Look, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about compromising what's moral or ethical or diluting the truth. I'm not saying that. But there are times, because there are times when you have to have hard conversations. But what I'm saying is, is that if you get to the place where you feel like you have to make your point over the value of the person you're talking to, then you have made an immature and arrogant choice. You have. Because look, here's the thing. Jesus did not die for your point. Jesus died for that person. And you have gotten it upside down. And so you have to make the choice to make it right side up. You cannot value the point over the person. All right? Number four. I should consistently point out the God potential in people. I ought to consistently point out the God potential in people. I mean, when was the last time you said to someone, you know, I see God working in you. Oh, I, I can see God moving your life, and I think that you would be the perfect person for this. You know, I can totally see how God would use your talent, your skill to accomplish this in this world. When was the last time you, in a conversation, pointed out to someone something that you see in them or something that you see that God is doing in them that, that, they could be, that God could use for good? When was the last time you pointed out the God potential in someone? Now, look, I'm not talking about, like, their potential to be God. Okay, no. I'm talking about the poten their potential to be used by God. When was the last time you pointed that out to someone? Look, I'm telling you, it's especially important that you point this out to your kids or to your teenagers, or to your grandkids. But I'm telling you, there is going to come a time in life, and probably multiple times in their lives, when they are going to think, how in the world is God ever going to use me for anything? I mean, this world is so big, and I am so small. How could I ever really make much of a difference? You need to help them see that. And you can do that with your words. You can do it with your words. 
by pointing out the God potential that you see in them. And you can't do it once. You've got to do it over and over and over again. All right. At some point, get this. At some point, you are going to say something that's going to stick in somebody's heart. Just like Mr. T, for me, when I was a kid, he said something that stuck in my heart. You are going to say something that's going to stick in somebody's heart. You don't get to choose who that is, and you don't get to choose when it occurs. But you do get to choose what you will say. And you will only say the right things if you are taking your words seriously, if you think about your words the way that God thinks about your words, and you allow God to change that perspective from the inside out. And when you do, you'll be amazed at what God will do through you to help other people. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, let me just say, first off, thank you for the people that you have placed in my life that... Um, that spoke good things, and that you, how you've used those to help shape me and, and lead me down the path in life that you have for me. And I pray for every single person listening to me today, God, that you would help them become the kind of people that speak words of life that's, that are positive, that are encouraging, that are supportive, that point out the God potential in other people, that value people over a point, God, that we would become those kinds of people that you use to build others up because this whole world has plenty of people that are focused on tearing them down. And that through that, you would help us to make Jesus the most attractive thing they've ever been drawn to in their lives. And so help us, God, to be encouraging husbands and wives, parents and teenagers and brothers and sisters because you want to use us for great things in other people. So help us to do that for your glory. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.